Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Occasionally, we go to our own canteen here in Marconi House to get our guests for the Culture Club. But I'm delighted that Pamela Joyce, who, of course, you know from her terrific lunchtime show here on Today FM, has agreed to do the Culture Club today. And she had to because, as I was just pointing out to her, we started her on The Last Word. The first time you ever heard Pam on The Last Word, Pamela, it was on The Last Word. It, it was, was on Today FM. My first ever Today FM uh, venture was on The Last Word. I think I was on with James Cavanagh. And we were discussing uh, selfies. So I was the cool young person coming in saying, selfies are cool, man. And you still take loads of them. Oh, of course. With a face like this, Matt, why wouldn't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but no, I'm, I'm actually quite nervous to do the culture club. Why? Because I've, it's, it's been something I've been obsessed with since its inception. And when I was on my evening show, I used to come in half an hour early on Wednesdays. So I'd be ready at half six. So I could sit in my studio and listen to the culture club. And I loved it. And Who's your favourite? Um, I quite liked Ty Kiki. It was very random. Um, very. But I would say Richard Chambers as well. A lot of his choices would have been uh, quite similar to yeah, mine. Yeah, you're going for the younger people like That's you are me, yourself. You know, um, and I was kind of bragging around the office saying, guys, they've asked me to do the Culture Club. This is huge. And I said it to that little ray of sunshine, John Cadell, who does the, the music slot on a Tuesday here. And I said, John, they've asked me to do the Culture Club. And he looked me dead in my eyes and said, they've never asked me. He said, it'll just be called the club that week. So will it? Ooh. I was like, John, harsh. But he's right. Look, we'll let the answers speak for themselves. Okay. Well, you see, we actually, when we started this, we did put in as well, first single that people remember buying. But you're of an age group where, were there singles? There were. I'm not quite that young. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> um, it, yeah, singles. The first thing I ever bought was a cassette. Yeah. I remember that. So there yeah, definitely so were we singles. We, we're, some of us on the team are of an age seven inch singles, but you're thinking of cassettes and CDs. Yeah, oh no, no, no cassette. It was, a, I, th- I thought having a cassette made me quite, uh, mature, but no. Uh, but yeah, I remember buying it. I can still see the cover of it. Um, and I bought it and I went to a family friend's house and I sauntered into the house and I said, guys, you're not ready for this. This is pure lyrical and musical genius. And I made them stop playing their, I think it was a Nintendo 64 at the time. They were playing uh, Super Mario and I put my little cassette into the thing and I said, guys, listen to this. And uh, it was Eiffel 65 Blue. Let's hear it. Yo, listen up, here's the story about a little guy that lives in a blue world. And all day and all night and everything he sees is just blue like him. Inside and outside flew his house with a blue little window and a blue Corvette And everything is blue for him and himself and everybody around Cause he ain't got nobody to listen I'm Pamela Joyce is punching the air in delight at the memory of her first choice. I never thought I'd be bopping around to Eiffel 65 with Matt Cooper. I'm glad to say it's off the book list. Did 
your friends say, play that again? Or did I, they go yeah, back yeah, to oh, the Nintendo I, no. 64? I would say the tape was, the cassette was worn down to nothingness. I played it, I would say my whole family. What age were you then? Uh, I think it was 99 it was out, so I was six or seven. Okay. Yeah. So you were big into music from a very early stage. I was. Uh, and it's an influence from probably my older sisters. We have, um, I have three older sisters and all very, very different music tastes. And I'm kind of an amalgamation of them. So my older sister, uh, Carol, she was very into Nirvana. And then next, Nikki was very into the Prodigy and Oasis. And then Serena was very into Britney Spears and pop and things like that. So it kind of got to me and I'm this melting pot of random music that you can't chart where it's going to go. I could be, you know, listening to country music one day and pop music the next day. And it's nice to keep it, to keep it different. No boys in the house offering musical nope. influence? No. Nope. Good. Good. That's apt given Sinead Leeson talking to us earlier in the program about yeah. our book with Kim Gordon and all the female influences in music. So that brings us to your favourite album. And it is by... The Chicks, it formerly is. known as Dixie Chicks. Yeah, so this is a random one. I'm not a country music person really at all. I mean, if Taylor Swift counts from back in the day, her early albums, that's pretty much the amount of it. Bar this do you, one. Do you prefer early Taylor Swift oh to God, new Taylor yeah. Swift? New Taylor Swift wrecks my head. It's too, oh. it's too try hard, too artsy. Anyway. Okay, uh, go so, back to the Dixie yeah, Chicks. The, the, the Chicks, the Chicks as they're now known as, their album Home, I think it's 2002 it came out. And uh, it kind of is the soundtrack to my whole childhood. It's it's the most random thing. I think one of my sisters just picked it up one day and put it into the CD player in the car and there's this four or five year period of my life that just is completely soundtracked by the chicks and this one album. And I'm not a huge country music person, but it's it's a stunning album. Why? And what was it about it? I don't know. It has a bit of everything. There's fast songs, there's slow songs. Uh, and what it was is when I listen to it, I actually get really emotional when I listen to it because it reminds me of Journeys Out to Clifton with my dad. Um, he's from Clifton, so I was always going out with him every two or three weeks out to see my granny. And I was a teeny tiny little child. So I had to, do you know the, the armrests you used to have in the back of a car? Yeah. That you could pull down. I used to have to sit up on top of that to see over the dashboard uh, for the big drive out to Clifton. And this was always on. So when I hear it, you can hear my voice. I get emotional talking about it. It's the weirdest thing. Um, I can see the 12 bends and the, the twists in the road. And what's wrong with me? It's just a really lovely memory that I have when I hear these songs and the funny thing is I'd be listening to them and I'd be drifting off into sleep and the next thing I'd get a clatter on my legs from my dad in the driver's seat because he'd know she's not going to sleep tonight if she sleeps in the car which means I can't sneak off to the pub so this child needs to stay awake so it's this weird kind of uh, nostalgia thing tied to it and uh, yeah it's just family and childhood and I know the particular song that we have a clip of. I can't listen to the song in its entirety without crying. <laughs> it's called, really? It's called Travelling Soldier. Uh, it's a very long song, um, but it's it's a really, really lovely story. Um, and I'll probably start crying during oh, it. But we're only going to play a minute of it. Two days past 18, he was waiting for the bus and his army green sat down in a booth. Cafe there gave his order to a girl with a bow in her hair. He's a little shy, so she give him a smile. And he said, would you mind sitting down for a while and talking to me? I'm feeling a little low. She said, I'm off in an hour and I know where we can go. So they went down.
smiled all the way I did, I did. I've recovered now don't worry I'm back it's the weirdest music just does that though there's some things that <clears throat> excuse me music does that in that there's some things that I, I might listen to that album for six years or yeah. for whatever it is and I'll put it on and you're just transported straight back and the smells and the sounds and everything and it's like wow what music can do is this it's crazy okay well that was a lovely track now you've gone for something entirely different for your favourite band or artist you've gone for Beyonce this here now is where the fierceness comes in. So the tears are gone and Beyonce is here. So uh, my nickname, I've given it to myself, uh, <laughs> is, is Beyonce. I don't know if that quite counts. Um, but my closest sister to me, Serena, uh, she and I always say that I'm Beyonce and she's Britney Spears and we're this kind of double act that goes around. But uh, Beyonce was kind of at her peak, really, when I was growing up. Uh, Destiny's Child finished up when I was maybe 13, 14. Um, and then her album Dangerously in Love came out and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'm kind of into that. And then her album B-Day came out and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then her album I Am Sasha Fierce, I think it was in around 2009, uh, came out and I was like, whoa, okay, this is this is the artist for me. I've seen her three times, I think, once as Destiny's Child and twice as a solo artist. And every time I've just been completely in awe of the presence she has and the complete control she has over a crowd of 80,000 people. Um, there's just something incredible about her. And I think she set the bar for pop stars. And I don't think anybody has quite gotten as high as, as she set the bar. Um, there was the likes of Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. They could dance a bit. They could sing. Uh, but no one quite at the, at the standard that Beyonce could. And I think we, we won't see her like again, I don't think. Well, as it happens, you mentioned all the albums you love. The track we have is from Lemonade. Is that okay? So, absolutely. So, yeah, she kind of got more and more political as her albums went on, and she, she kind of didn't have to do it. Her first few albums are quite poppy, uh, and then it gets kind of more hip-hop influenced, and she starts to get quite p- political then over her last two or three albums. L- Lemonade is unbelievable. Um, that's the album that I think Adele won the Grammy that year, and she said she's getting to get to Beyonce because Lemonade was the album of her life. Okay, the track we have is Freedom.
I might surprise you by saying, you know, one of my favourite albums of the last decade is... Go on. The Carters. Really? It's a terrific wow. album. Wow. Would, would you say you and I are the Jay-Z and Beyonce at Today FM? Well, we might say it now. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but now did you say it? Why not? Like, okay, that said, I'm not sure that I agree with your best gig selection. I mean, I'm not terribly surprised you don't, but um, it's Westlife in Croke Park in 2019. Um, it was the last big gig I went to pre-pandemic. Um, and it was the first gig I went to where I didn't have time to go to the toilet because I knew every single song and didn't want to miss a single song. And that's that's the mark of you a great gig. You can still hear them when you're in the toilet. Yeah, but you can't miss them because I, I, uh, I had been living in Dublin for a while and hadn't seen my Galway friends and they all came up. I was living right beside Croke Park at the time and I was on early breakfast. So I was like, I need to get out the gap, get the nap in because I'm not going to fall asleep at Westlife. And one of my friends surprised us. She came home from uh, Abu Dhabi and everyone was just in unbelievable form, went to the gig, hadn't seen Westlife in so long. And like I said, knew every single song was bursting by the end of the concert, but just couldn't miss anything. It was just so, so good. And everyone was so happy. The lads were so happy to be back on stage. And there was just this kind of magical air about it. I don't know what it was. It was people my age. And then there was people that were a little bit older, maybe who uh, were at Hens or at whatever it might be. They just, a group of gals got together that would have been big Westlife fans back in the day. They might have left the husband and kids at home and had their first big night out with the girls in a long, long time. And it was just magical. Can you believe though that with the clip of Westlife in Croke Park we have is actually from 2012, which you probably were too young to be at. Uh, not quite, nearly. <laughs> World of our own. Westlife from Croke Park. No. Ah, Pamela Joyce didn't leave to go to the toilet during that either. No. No. Right. Maybe we'll take a break and we'll come back with more of the Culture Club from Pamela Joyce, our lunchtime presenter. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Welcome back. It's the Culture Club here on The Last Word in Today FM. And our own Pamela Joyce is in here today giving us her selections. We've had all the music, so let's go to other things, starting with movies. And you have gone, well, this is her, the, the intellectual posh side of you, going for a Spanish language movie. This is my thing. I was like, great, we're past the cheesy, terrible music now. Here's a bit of intellect. Um, my favourite film ever, ever, ever is Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, it's by Guillermo del Toro, who uh, did The Shape of Water in 2017. Um, it is stunning. It's simply a work of art. I think I saw it for the first time when I was probably... 
maybe 14 or 15 uh, and I've been simply besotted by it ever since I watched it. What's the story of it? Uh, So it's set uh, in Spain five years after the Spanish Civil War during the early Francoist period and um, it's essentially, it's a dark fantasy. So there's kind of these two plots running parallel to each other, one of which is a fantasy world, one of which is the real world. So there's this young girl, her name is Ophelia, uh, her and her mother move in with a man called Captain Vidal, which who's now her stepfather, and he's one of Franco's captains. And uh, it's she kind of creates this fantasy world that she has to escape to because of the brutality and the violence that's going on in her world. So um, the main kind of the real world plot is about Franco's armies going after the guerrillas uh, and the violence and brutality and bleakness of that. And the main character, then Ophelia, goes off into her fantasy world and she meets this fawn whose name is Pan. Uh, and he gives her these three tasks that she has to do in order to kind of she wants to get. But she I think it's that she was um, inside her soul is, is a princess from a fantasy world. And she has to complete these three tasks to prove that she's worthy, that she is this princess to get back to her real family because she's so miserable uh, in this in this new world that her mother has brought her to. So it's. It's a hard one to explain and I'm, it, it sounds weird, but it's incredible. It's such a great film. And it did this weird thing for me where I had just started secondary school when I watched it for the first time and I just started studying Spanish. And I saw this film and my love for Spain and Latin America and everything about the culture, the people, the music, the food, the men, everything about it. Just, I have this huge love for it now. And I think that film was kind of, had, you speak Spanish I now, think, do you? I do, yeah. Um, so I had just started it in school and it really made me kind of put the head down and say, no, I really like Spanish, it's great. I went on to do a degree in it and then I lived in Madrid for a year. Um, and I actually think this film was one of the things that kind of made me realise, well, Spanish is really, really cool. It's amazing. OK, well, we don't have a clip from it because it's in Spanish. So, so let's, cultured. Let's move on. There's your culture, John Cadell. OK, let's move on to books or authors. And uh, you want to talk about J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter? I do. So now I know... You're supposed to pick your favourite book. I think it would be uh, an injustice and doing a disservice to Harry Potter for me to say it was my favourite book because it's more than that to me. Um, I started reading, the. I think my dad actually got me the books when I was a kid and started them and I was like, this is rubbish, I'm not reading that. And then came back to it two years later and it's my whole life. I have a Harry Potter tattoo. I'm in three Sorry, weeks. nine and three quarters. Yeah. The, the mythical uh, train platform. Very good, Matt. Um, I am about to go on my fifth trip over to the Warner Brothers Studios in London. I've been there as well yeah, with all unreal. my children. It is terrific. It's amazing. Uh, I'm going to see The Cursed Child, the play for the second time. I have Harry Potter bed sheets coming out of my eyes, all the merchandise, all the paraphernalia. Um, and because I was, there's a seven year gap between me and my next sibling. So when I was a kid, they were all teenagers. So, Harry and Ron and Hermione were my pals and I used to come home from school and fling the school bag in the corner and just sit down and read the book for hours. So I think it would do an injustice to say that was my favourite book. It's my whole entire life. So I've chosen another one, uh, which is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. Um, stunning. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 2015, I think. Um, and it is set in occupied France during World War Two, and it kind of has two central characters one is a blind French girl and one is a young German boy. And it kind of, the narration kind of flips back and forth between the two of them. We have an extract from the audiobook. Sixteen paces to the water fountain. Sixteen back. Forty-two to the stairwell. Forty-two back. Mary Lord draws maps in her head, unreels a hundred yards of imaginary twine, 
then turns and reels it back in. Botany smells like glue and blotter paper and pressed flowers. Paleontology smells like rock dust, bone dust. Biology smells like formalin and old fruit. It's loaded with heavy, cool jars in which float things she's only had described for her. The pale, coiled ropes of rattlesnakes, the severed hands of gorillas. Entomology smells like mothballs and oil. A preservative that Dr. Jeffard explains is called natholine. Offices smell of carbon paper or cigar smoke or brandy or perfume or all four. She follows cables and pipes, railings and ropes, hedges and sidewalks. She startles people. She never knows if the lights are on. The children she meets brim with questions. Does it hurt? Do you shut your eyes to sleep? How do you know what time it is? It doesn't hurt, she explains. And there is no darkness, not the kind they imagine. Everything is composed of webs and lattices and upheavals of sound and texture. All the Life We Cannot See by Anthony Dorr, which Netflix are turning into a four-part series. They are. What you making that? No, thank you. No. I, I just, I have this thing whereby books that are being turned into series and films, to me it's as if to say a book is not enough. It's only, you know, quality and proper when someone decides to make it into a TV or film. So what did you make of the Harry Potter movies, though? The movies are rubbish. Really? Oh, they're catmologian. The books are ten times better. And I think there's this weird thing out there that books aren't enough to exist just as a book. It's okay. You don't have to be this thing that's, you know, mass consumed across the world for the most money ever. A piece of art can be a book on its own. You rarely see a TV show being turned into a book. So let these two things live separately. It's okay not to make millions and millions on a terrible TV show. Okay, I get your point. I remember years ago, first seeing the movie of The World According to Carp, John Irving book, and loving it. But then I read the book, and the book is just, oh my God, I read it. I don't know how many times. Because that's the thing with this book, All the Light You Cannot See. It's it's not the most action-packed or fast-paced book. It's the writing that I loved. So the girl in it, Marilor, she's blind. Her father uh, builds her uh, model of the town they live in, and she traces her fingers over to learn the streets and the turns and the corners so she can find her way around the town. And it's the way it's written. So I don't see how that's going to translate into a TV series. Will I watch it? Probably. What about television? What did you like growing up? Uh, I loved this detective series called Veronica Mars. I don't, I don't know. I think it could be quite niche. I don't know how big it was over here. Um, Kristen Bell is in it. She's a famous actress now. She's the voice of Anna in Frozen and she's done oh, lots yeah. of other bits. Yeah. Um, Amanda Seyfried is in it. Tessa Thompson now, who's in the Marvel films, is in it. Harry Hamlin, Lisa Rinna are in it. Uh, basically, Kristen Bell's character, Veronica, she's the daughter of a private investigator. So she decides she is going to start kind of doing the odd jobs at high school of being a private investigator. And it's so good. The season finale of season two is the best episode of television I've ever seen. And I, st- I watched it for the first time when I was 16. I watched it for the last time maybe a year ago. And it's still, it's so good. That's Veronica Mars. But I am very surprised by your current favourite. Okay. Downton Abbey. Why? What's with the surprise? Do I not look like a lady? Oh, you are a lady. I'm far from it, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I'm just trying to see what answer do I give to a question like that. Downton Abbey? Yeah. Really? While you think of the explanation, let's hear a clip of Downton Abbey where Lady Mary advises Jack Ross against marrying Lady Rose. Tell me honestly, do you think you can survive what they'll do to you? Because I don't believe Rose could. 
it may come as something of a relief for you to hear that I will not be marrying Rose. You won't? No. I've enjoyed her dreams. I think she's more than you allow. But? I don't want to spoil her life. I don't want to watch while people point at her and jeer. I love her. I want her to be happy. So you'll end it? Yes. I should probably have stopped it sooner, but at any rate, I'm stopping it now. So will you tell Rose, or shall I? I'll tell her. I'll write to her. She'll get it tomorrow. It doesn't mean I think it's right. I wouldn't give in if we lived in even a slightly better world. It may surprise you, Mr. Ross, but if we lived in a better world, I wouldn't want you to. See, it's even the music behind the yeah, dialogue for exactly. me. exactly. That's what you like. I love it. See, again, it's not <laughs> its not Breaking Bad. You're not going to have explosions and all that, but it's the costumes and the set and the romance of it. And I think nowadays we need to be, you know, grabbed as soon as a program starts and we need action, 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 conflict, something, something. This... It's just lovely Hold to see it on a watch. second. You mentioned Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Sometimes they move at an almost glacial pace, but there's real character and you care about the people. And that's it. precisely what Downton Abbey has. The characters, you either love them to death or you hate every fibre of their being. They're so well written. Uh, I think it goes from around 1912 to around 1925. And you're seeing how people lived uh, how simple things were, the courtships. Please, God, bring back the courtships. I'm so sick of Tinder. I wish it was 1913 again and I had a lovely little dress to walk around in. Um, it's just fabulous. The characters are gorgeous. I disagree with the race of the films. Again, it, six seasons was enough. You should have left it there. But uh, I bawled my eyes through most of the episodes and it's just a, a gorgeous feel-good series. Yeah, there's a new movie coming out. I think yeah. I saw the uh, trailers at the cinema recently and yeah. I said that's one I'm definitely missing as yeah. well. Uh, I like your choice of favourite play, The Beauty Queen of Lenan by yes. Martin McDonough. Yeah, so I actually studied theatre for my undergraduate uh, in NUID, NUIG. I did theatre, Irish and Spanish. Not very employable, but I had a good time and that's what matters. Uh, so we kind of did everything in theatre from Greek plays to Shakespeare to whatever and we got to contemporary Irish drama. I was like, whoa, nobody does drama or plays like the Irish. Uh, we had... Playboy, The Western World. We had Marina Carr's By the Bucket Cats, uh, Brian Freel in Translations. And then we got to Martin McDonough and the Lenan trilogy. And I don't, I, there was just something special about it. I think it's that being from Galway, uh, it was the language used, it was the setting, it was the way they spoke um, and the relationships. I kind of felt like, oh, I know those people or I know someone who's similar to them. So uh, The Beauty of Queen and Lenan, it is incredibly dark, but it's also very, very funny. Um, and I think I actually prefer to read it than seeing it performed. Really? I don't know what it is. Um, with I'm like that with most plays. I like to to read the the script rather than watch it be performed. It's the thespian Does in me, you know. Does that defeat the purpose a little bit? Not at all. I think mostly it's because I like to to fancy myself an actor, and I think I could do a better job than the actors on the stage. Did you ever act? Uh, I did. I did. I was not like properly properly. I like I said did theatre. I wanted to be an actor. My parents said, absolutely not. Good luck. You're the fourth 
child, absolutely not taking a risk on you. In you go and do your nice bog standard degree and out you come. Um, but it was great. It was wonderful. I studied arts. I wanted to do, I think, just a strictly drama course in Trinity. And they said, no, we'll meet you halfway. You can do drama in Go Away, but you'll have your two subjects on the side. It's great. Um, but I'm delighted I did it. And I, I, I often think about the fact that any time I was in college or the years afterwards, you'd be chatting to someone saying, what are you doing in college? And every single time, if they were an art student, just arts, just was always put in front of the word arts as if to say, oh, it's fine. Don't bother me. It's grand. It's just arts. Come on. What's wrong with arts? Nothing. Anybody I know that came out of an arts degree is far more well-rounded, uh, is a better people person, because a lot of my friends would have gone into the bigger courses. My friends are lovely. I'm not saying they're not people people. Uh, but they would have gone into massive courses where all your lectures are two, 300 people plus. So yeah. you never had to talk to anybody else. There was always someone you knew you could sit beside. Um, whereas my degree, I had a small theatre class of 15 people. Uh, so the first day of college, I was thrown in. I was like, oh, this is terrifying. Uh, but it was amazing. From there, I joined the Drama Society and I joined the Musical Society. And that was how I met people and kind of developed my personality a little bit. Now, I'm sure my family would say, we wish you didn't. You should have stayed the way you were. You're too loud now. Um, but, but you are a performer. Like yeah. You perform for us a yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah. Okay, just to finish up podcasts. I think you're not massively into podcasts, but there is one you want to nominate. There is one I love. Uh, it's my therapist goes to me. It's John McNally and Vogue Williams. It's so incredibly funny. Um, so is Mario's take on it yes. in his podcast. Um, it's, 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 it's just two friends having a laugh. But okay. one of them happens to be a professional comedian. One happens to be an almost millionaire. It works. Almost? You mean she isn't? I don't know. Is she a millionaire? Maybe she is. Okay, well, let's hear a little bit of Joanne McNally and Vogue Williams in My Therapist Ghosted Me. I was watching you and Jonathan Ross, and that got me thinking, because he was saying, you were talking about when you came and stayed at me, mm. and it's because that you had to work for free all the time. Mm. And it got me thinking about all the shit jobs that we've had to do in our time. Like, I had to work, well, I wouldn't say it was a shit job, but I worked on a building site for six months in London when I was doing my degree. I was a site engineer, and I was just so... Crap. He sent me out to measure things. I didn't know how to measure. They locked me in a digger one time. They used to try and bribe <laughs> me with things like, we'll let you choose your own steel toe boots if you just go and do this. I was like the worst worker Why ever. Why did you end up in that world, though? Is this from what I you know. did in college? Yeah, it's yeah. degrees. Yeah. I think it's too cold on a building site for I me. Just... It was too cold. I mean, talk about a professional pivot. You went from basically being a, a builder on a site to now but you're basically landed aristocracy now and you and you and you and you you're an equestrian and you play polo at the weekends. Spenny <laughs> is so posh, right, that he actually said to me, he was like, well, darling, we should do polo lessons once a month together and I think You're like, imagine no. trying to live that down in health. <laughs> Sorry. Vogue was an engineer on the building site. Yeah, I, th I think she was a quantity surveyor or something uh, by trade. That's what she did in college, as far something, as I know. Something I didn't know. There and you I've go. learned a lot about you in well, the culture club as well, particularly all your background in theatre and Spanish and everything like that. And Terribly we learn, complex. We learn more every day at lunchtime. Pamela Joyce, who of course is with us every day of 12 to 2 here on Today FM. But thank you for joining us for the last word, Culture Club. I hope it wasn't as bad as you felt it was going I, to be. Um, I'm, I'm sweating quite profusely, but I've had a lovely time. So thank you. <laughs> thank you Thanks, very Matt. much. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.